Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. You guys ready to go? Come on, make a little noise. Here we go. Woo! All right, that was just the beginning. We're having a little bit of fun, man. I'm glad that you guys are with us. Now, my wife is going to come back up again at the end. She'll, um, she'll tell you about our regular service times next week because uh, tonight gives us a chance to get everybody together and give uh, on Sunday for going into the Independence Day weekend. There's going to give our, uh, our workers, our band, all of our volunteers, give them a chance to take the weekend off and relax. So this is a great time for us to come together and for us to be able to just kind of say thank you to all of our volunteers. Um, but when we come back next week, we are going to be into our At The Movie series that's kicking off next Thursday. So a week from today, Thursday night, we're going to be kicking that off. And we are doing uh, Remember the 80s for um, our At The Movie. So those of you, how many of you here actually do remember the 80s? Okay. So half of you are like, yeah, what, you're going to learn. You're going to learn. And the other half, man, we're going to celebrate it. So we're going to have some fun movies there. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to do some stuff with that. Um, and that'll be next Thursday. Now, for tonight, um, we're going to get back in. We're going to do some worship again. And uh, we're going to do some other stuff. And then we'll get right back to the food. We'll have the ice cream and the hot dogs and all that. Um, before, yeah, I, I figured some of you would be more excited about that than my preaching. <laughs> That's fine. But um, before we do, just uh, bear with me for the next couple minutes. For the next couple of minutes, I'd, I'd ask that you guys just help me focus in. Um, when we do an outdoor service, there's always a ton of things that distract. I mean, there's just a million things going on. But parents, if you could keep your kids seated, this is not the time to get up and go to the bathroom 500 times or to play around. If you guys could just help me with that for a few minutes. And what that'll do is that'll allow the people around you to hear the message as well and not just watch everybody moving. And if somebody is moving around you, Try to pay more attention to what's going on. And what I wanted to, God's got a word for you. And because it's uh, Independence Day weekend, what I wanted to say and what I wanted to kind of talk to you guys about um, was something I found in a story of one of the soldiers that I was researching. And, and there's a movie that kind of uh, told me a little bit about his life, and I'll share that with you here in a second. Um, but there's a guy, his name's Louis Zamperini, and everybody called him Louie. And uh, he was a high school track star. Now, this is back in the 1930s. In the 1930s, he started running track because his older brother wanted him to stop smoking and drinking so much. He's like, hey, you need to get into a sport. And he found that he was actually good at running. And the more he ran, the more uh, uh, you know, people seemed to notice him. He got so good, he started setting all these records in California. Um, he ended up going to the, let me make, this, make sure I got it right, in the 1936 Olympics. To this day, he's the youngest American to ever qualify for the 5,000 meters in the Olympics. So in 1936, he goes to Germany to compete in the Olympics. The guy's just a, is a, is a great athlete. And then, of course, the war breaks out, and he signs up with the Air Force, and he, uh, he's a lieutenant on a, on a bomb. He's a bombardier on a B-24, and his, uh, his plane goes down the, in the Pacific Ocean, and he's on a raft for, I think, 47 days. And um, he, he just barely surviving, you know, just not sure why God would do that to him, not sure what to believe. And then when he gets rescued, it's not really a rescue because it's the Japanese and they take him as a prisoner. Now, if this sounds familiar, there's a movie uh, called Unbroken about his life and about what, he, what it is that he went through. And he goes through several years as a POW and a Japanese prisoner of war camp. And the guards are extremely harsh on him. Louis, because he was an American Olympian, 
he kind of got notoriety in the bad way. They wanted to make sure they could break him. So they tortured him. They abused him. They killed his friends. They did everything, especially one of the guards. Um, I want to get his name right. There's a guard that the other uh, prisoners of war, that they called him the bird. His name was uh, Mutsuhiro. And uh, he, he had it in for Louis. He, he wanted to be the guard that broke him. So he did everything he could. He treated him as evil as he could. But he doesn't. He doesn't break Louis. And then when the war is over, he actually gets to come home. Louis gets to come home and he gets married. And then he finds that he's got PTSD. Now, the movie ends. If you watch the movie Unbroken, it's really powerful. It shows what he goes through at that POW camp. But it ends with him going free. And the, I think the real story of his life is what takes place after the movie. So he goes home, and he starts having nightmares. And his wife said he would wake up screaming. He was dreaming of strangling the prison guards. He, was, he, 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 couldn't, he couldn't handle what, what he had gone through and how tough that was, so he began to drink and drink heavily. And his wife didn't know what to do, and somebody invited his wife to go out to one of these outdoor preaching things. She heard a young evangelist named Billy Graham, and she got saved that night, and she went home, and she told her husband, hey, I, I've... I found something I think you need. And he was like, whatever. But through her persistent, let's just call it witnessing, <laughs> he finally decided to go hear this Billy Graham guy. And when he does, he, he hears that he, he needs forgiveness, that he needs a savior. And he gives his life to Christ. He becomes a Christian that night. And, and over the, he, said, he said in a testimony, he did an interview back in uh, 2012 with Jay Leno, um, Louis Zamperini did. He said that when he, got saved, the nightmares finally stopped. And then he began to process through this forgiveness that God had given him. And he said, I not only need to experience this, but other people do as well. And so he started a ministry of forgiveness. And what he did in 1950 is he went over to a prison in Japan where they had locked up the guards that used to guard him because they treated him so poorly. They, they were considered uh, war criminals. That's how bad those guards were. So he goes to prison and he begins to tell those prisoners how, that he forgives them and that God, God also forgives them. And several of those prison guards become Christians as well. They accept Christ. Now, uh, when he's 81 years old, Louis Zamberini, he, um, he gets asked to carry the torch at the Japanese Olympi at the, at the Olympics in Japan. Um, and I think that was 1998, yeah, um, in uh, Nagano, Japan. He gets to carry the torch. And while he's there, he says, I'm going to go look up I'm going to go look up Mutsuhiro and tell him I forgive him. And he tried really, really hard to get to that one prison guard that didn't want anything to do with him, but the guard wouldn't meet with him. So he wrote him a letter and he said, hey, man, I forgive you and God forgives you. And man, I just hope you'll accept that. And he, doesn't, he, did, he didn't know if, that, if Mutsuhiro ever even received the letter or read the letter because he never got a reply back. And five years later, Mutsuhiro died. And in 2014, or 2000, yeah, 2014, Louis Zamperini died at the age of 97. And his, his testimony, as much, he's got airports named after him and highways named after him and high schools named after him, um, just being a war hero. But his, he said the biggest thing that he wanted to leave with the world was not all of his, his war accolades. It was the message of forgiveness. And I thought about a soldier who was willing to forgive prison guards who abused him mercilessly. And I thought, there's a Christian who understands something that most of us miss out on. See, we know that we're supposed to forgive. We hear that. And you hear a pastor get up and be like, hey, you should forgive others. And you're like, yeah, 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 preach on, preachy preacher boy, forgiveness. I get it. <laughs> forgiveness is something that you expect to hear, but it's very hard for you to actually do. 
to forgive somebody else. The Bible says in Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it's a glory to someone to overlook an offense. It's an honor to you. It's a prestigious thing if you can overlook somebody's offense, meaning you don't get bent out of shape when somebody hurts you. You don't get mad. You don't get even. Struggled with it. Learned to forgive. This is such a hard thing that one of Jesus' own disciples struggled with it. He's one of my favorite disciples. It's Peter. Peter, man, Peter had a mouth on him. I'm just to be honest with you. He cussed like a sailor, and he had an anger problem that made him look like a New Englander, okay? He, he was always getting in trouble, but he heard Jesus time and time again talk about forgive others, forgive others, forgive others. And so Peter goes up to him, and in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Peter came up to Jesus and asked, Lord, boss, let me ask you a question real quick, Rabbi. How many times do I need to forgive my brother or sister when they sin against me? And then Peter, trying to be spiritual, he goes, I think I would do that up to seven times, right? And what he's saying is, if somebody does me wrong, I'd forgive them. And if they did it again, I would even forgive them a second time. I might even forgive them a third time. Nobody would ever forgive somebody three times in a row for the same offense. And then he looks at Jesus and he's like, maybe even seven times, Jesus. He picked seven because seven was the number of God's completions, the, it's, it's God's perfect number is what they thought. They're really into numerology. So they're like, yeah, seven, God's holy number that. Seven times, can I forgive somebody seven times? And Jesus looks at him and goes, how about 70 times seven? <laughs> and you could just see Peter's face be like, what? And Jesus wasn't saying forgive somebody 490 times and then stop. He's saying just lose track. Stop counting how many times you forgive somebody. He's saying, I want you to be the kind of person who forgives and you get to the place, Peter, where you're not counting how many times you've forgiven them. And what he's doing is Jesus is trying to tell his followers, I've got something for you that's going to set you free. And I see here, as I'm preaching this to this crowd, there's some of you sitting there going, I don't want to hear a message on forgiveness. There's people that, that probably need to ask for my forgiveness, but there's nobody I'm willing to forgive. And, and a lot of you can think of that family member or that person from your past the person who said something horrible to you, the person who did you wrong, the person who stabbed you in the back, broke your heart. Maybe somebody did something really horrible to you. I don't know. But you're sitting there going, there's no way I'm going to forgive them. There's no way I'm going to, I'm going to let that go. I want to read you a story that Jesus told to illustrate not only what it looks like to come back, but also what it looks like to be the kind of forgiver. Because see, Jesus told this story called the prodigal son. And everybody that hears the prodigal son, what they take away is they go, oh yeah, that's a, that's a message about how people can be really bad and still get redeemed. And it is. But I would, I would pose this to you. It may, be, it may be also a story about how you can, can be a better forgiver. See, what Jesus starts with is he says, hey, there's a dad who has two sons. And the younger son says to the dad, the younger son says to the dad, I don't care if you live or die, dad. I just want my inheritance. Give me your money. I'm out of here. Incredibly rude. And the dad has to liquidate his assets, which means not only did the kid disrespect his dad, but he, he did a lot of damage to the family business. He probably put it in danger of going under. He also did a lot of damage to the family reputation. This kid's a punk. This kid's a young punk who thinks he's got the plan, and so he doesn't care who he hurts, and he, I mean, he betrays his family, and he must break his father's heart. 
And it says he goes off and he starts living wildly. It says then when his money runs out, a famine hits the, the land that he's in and nobody's got anything. And so he goes from living high on the hog to living with the hogs. The only job he can get, see what I did there? The only job that he can get is feeding pigs. That would have been a big deal to a Jewish person. They wouldn't go near pigs. They don't eat bacon. They didn't want anything to do with pigs. were so dirty. And the only job he can get is slopping the pigs. And it says it gets so bad that he looks at the pig food and says, man, that's starting to look good. I'm so hungry. Now I want to draw your attention to something really quick. This is what happens. Verse 17 of, of Luke chapter 15. When he finally came to his census, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I'm dying of hunger. He's sitting in a pigsty and he's looking at the pig food and he goes, as much as I hated it back home, as much as I thought my dad was overbearing, as much as I wanted to get out of there, even his servants. Now I had it so good being a son, but even if I was just a servant, I would have it better. And so he says, I know what I'm going to do. I will go home to my father and I will say this. And he starts to rehearse a speech in his mind. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. You may have heard this story before. Or maybe you've never heard it before. But before I go on and tell you what happens next, I want you to stop and, and I want you to learn something here really quick. You need to be the kind of forgiver. You need to be the kind of person who plants a seed in somebody's heart that even if they hate you, and even if they don't like what you represent, and even if they don't want to hear about you, and even if they don't want your rules, or they don't want to be near you, there's something about you. You plant a seed in their life. There's something about you that you have created in an environment where they know they can go back and be received. Now, that's important. I'm going to say that because I know that hurts, but here's what you got to understand on this. This kid is sitting in a pigsty after he basically cussed his dad out, told him he wished he was dead, kind of ruined the family business and the family reputation. And as much damage as he has done, he sits there and goes, I can still go home. That dad had to have planted some seeds in that kid's life that said, hey, listen, I love you. I love you so much that even when you make a horrible, horrible mistake and you screw up, I will still love you. And that's hard for parents to do. And I know I'm speaking, as, as a parent, I'm speaking to a lot of other parents who have gone through this and you've, you have, you, you've seen the negative side of it, but there is, a, there is a way that you can draw a line and you say, hey, listen, I don't want you to make those dumb, dumb choices. And if you're gonna make those dumb choices, you can't receive the blessings of being in this home. Because if you're gonna be in this home under my roof, you're gonna have to follow these rules. And if you won't do that, then you can't stay here. And that's a hard conversation to have but you can also have it in a way that says, when you come to your senses, and you don't have to say that, that's what the Bible says, but when you, kid, when you pull your head out of your butt, can I get real? Can we be real? Come on. When, when you see how dumb it is that you're being, you don't have to say that out loud, but you plant the seed that, hey, when, when you're ready, I'll always receive you back. I love you. I won't condone your stupidity. I won't provide an environment that feeds your stupidity. So you're going to have to take your stupidity out of here. But when you're done with your stupidity, there's a way to come back. There's a place to come back. And that, listen, that, that's, that's not just for parents with their kids. Spouses, you have, to have the, you have to have the kind of relationship where you're creating in your husband, in your wife, 
brothers and sisters, what do you do with your siblings, best friends? You have to create the kind of environment where they know, hey, I hurt his feelings. I, I really did her wrong. But there's something about her where if I went back and apologized, I, I think she would receive me. I think that they would allow me. I, there, there's a place that I can go back to. Create that. Create, give, them, give them the hope that there could, be, there could be a renewed relationship. See, some of you, you're like, nah, they did me wrong. Forget them. I'm done. I, I accepted one apology. I forgave them one time. There always needs to be a way back. I'm not saying they don't have consequences for the mistake. And some of you, you're thinking of somebody who really, really hurt you. I am not telling you you have to give them access to hurt you again. But I am saying you tell them that there can be a relationship. That relationship may not have all the benefits it used to have because they've broken that trust. But you, there is a path for forgiveness. Plant that there for them. Let me show you the return, though. Here's the verse we love. So he returned, Luke 15, 20. So the prodigal son returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And his father, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, he embraced his son, and he kissed him. Filled with love and compassion. When he saw the person who had done him wrong, when he saw the person who had broke his heart, he saw them coming. He wasn't filled with, no, don't raise your hand, but he wasn't filled with bitterness. He wasn't filled with anger. He wasn't filled with resentment. He wasn't filled with, ready? He wasn't filled with his whole list of, I'm going to tell him off. Oh, he better wait till he gets a piece of my mind. Sit down, he's going to have leftovers, I tell you right now. We get all about what we will do if we ever got the opportunity. This father was filled with love and compassion. Let me ask you, if your worst enemy showed up tonight and came up to you, would you be filled with love and compassion or would you have nothing but venom and hate and resentment towards them? I'm not telling you that what they did is okay. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about where you're at. They may be the most evil, vile person. This kid was a jerk. Jesus doesn't even try to hide it. And yet the person he did wrong to was filled with love and compassion. And what do you see the dad do? The dad gets up and runs to him when he's coming down the driveway. He runs to him. By the way, if you read this story, if you were to read this story out loud to the group of men, the group of Jewish men that Jesus was talking to, out of all the things in the story, that line that the dad got up and ran to the son, that's the most unbelievable line in the whole story. Because in that culture, the patriarch doesn't get up and lower himself to run to anybody, especially when he's been wrong. And that's where you and I feel. You guys aren't shaking your heads yet, so I feel like a really bad person. Okay, I mean, that's how I feel. I will sit there and let you walk the walk of shame down the driveway to apologize to me, right? Because I know where you're going with this, Pastor. I need to let them apologize to me. I could be persuaded <laughs> to allow them to grovel at my feet. Come on, some of y'all, like I, heard, I, heard, I, I talked about forgiving that person in your life, the person you hate right now. I talked about forgiving them and you're struggling with, could I get to a place where I would allow them to walk down the driveway of my life to apologize to me? Maybe I would. I'm going to challenge you to be the kind of forgiver that gets up and meets them halfway. I'm going to tell you, you be the kind of person who says, I don't need you to come grovel at my feet. I'll come to you. 
See, Louis Zamperini, if, if he had had that attitude, he'd been like, well, those guards, they did, my, did me dirty. They, they ruined my life. If they want to buy a plane ticket and fly over to the U.S., I'll sit there and listen to an apology and then decide if I'll forgive them. The man forgave them and then got on a plane and went to go tell them that he forgave them. I don't think you guys are hearing what I'm preaching. He got up, he ran to him. I, I think that's a little bit extreme, Pastor. Why should I do that? Well, I don't know. It says in Romans 5, 8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Oh, man, maybe I should. Jesus came and died for us long before you and I ever said, oh, man, maybe I should give this some thought. He had already extended the forgiveness. He had already paid for your debt and said, hey, it's here. He's giving it. He reached out long before you ever reached out. He reached out with forgiveness. How many of you are doing that right now with the person that you feel? Not, I'm not saying you feel like I did a little bit, they did a little bit, it's 50-50. I'm saying if it's 100% their fault, the dad didn't do anything wrong, except for maybe like raise a punk for a son. I don't know. Like The dad was, was, was mostly just, just being nice. The son was the one who did everything wrong, and yet the dad gets up and runs to him. Do you have it in your heart to meet that person halfway? God exemplifies this. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. He responds in the, oh, there's a relationship? Let's have a relationship. You and I do this. I don't know. Let me back off. You need to, you need to convince me of your apology, work your apology, let me put you through the ringer for a few years and test your apology. Then I'll decide if I will extend forgiveness. That's not how God works. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. See, if you guys are listening to me, I'm telling you a lot about God's heart in this whole thing. I'm telling you what you need to be doing, but I'm telling you more about what it is that God's already done for you. Watch this. He gets to his dad, his dad, him and his dad hug in the driveway. And remember, he was rehearsing that whole speech in the pig pen. And he starts into it. In Luke chapter 15, verse 21, he says to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Remember what the speech was? I just read it a couple minutes ago. I'm no longer be calling your son. He says, hey, please take me on as a hired servant. He doesn't even get it out. I'm no longer being called your son, but his father said to the servants, quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him and get a ring for his finger, finger and sandals for his feet. He doesn't even get to finish his apology. Did you ever notice that? We know he doesn't finish his apology because Jesus told us the whole apology and he doesn't get through it. That's the reason Jesus told us the whole apology is to make us go, oh, he didn't finish his apology. You want to know why? Because you need to be the kind of forgiver that would interrupt an apology. Now, what I mean by that is, if you have to have the apology, then you're not, you're not there to forgive. The father, let me say it this way, the father had forgiven him before he started walking down the driveway. The father had already forgiven him. Be the kind of a person right now, if your relationship, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, you fill in the blank, whatever relationship you have a little bit of stress in right now. If you would, if you would begin to foster in that relationship right now, 
that you don't need the apology in order to forgive them. You are willing, you're willing to forgive them long before they ask for it. It changes the tone. Imagine somebody drowning. If, you, if I was up on a boat and this would be the ocean out there and, and one of you was drowning and I'm standing there with the lifesaver. Did you want this? I, I didn't hear you say please. I just need you to say please give me the lifesaver, Josh. You would say, Josh, you're being kind of a jerk, Pastor. Just throw it. Why? Well, maybe they don't know the words. Maybe they didn't even know that that was an option. Is it, is it up to me? Should I be the kind of person that says, when you say the right thing, then I will extend the lifeline? Or is the right thing to do to throw it before they ever ask for it? Because I might be more mature and go, hey, they're about to drown. I want them to have access to being saved long before they go under. Watch this. The father says, bring him a ring, bring him a robe, bring him sandals, kill the the calf that we've been fatting. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead, is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began, says uh, Luke 15, 24. I love it. Throws him a party. Why? Why did the dad do that? The dad interrupted the, the apology. Because the apology shouldn't be for the offended party. Let me say it this way. The son needed to apologize because that's the son needing to come to terms with the fact that he's an idiot. The dad didn't need the son to apologize in order for the dad to love the son. I'm not saying it clear enough. Um, when, my, when one of my kids screws up royally or does something or messes up something, Part of it is them coming and saying, you know, I'm sorry, I disobeyed or I didn't listen or, you know, part of that apology. I don't wait for that apology before I'm like, now, do I, do I want to continue loving my child? I love my kid and I've forgiven my kid even before they apologize. It's good for them to apologize. I don't need it. Now, listen, I'm not saying I'm mature enough to do that with everybody. But when you love somebody, you're not like hanging on like, did they say the right words? I'm going to say that again because some of you aren't talking to somebody else because they didn't say the right words. So if I love them, do I look at them as a mature person and say, it doesn't really matter because the apology is for them to learn how to come to ownership of their mistakes. It's not for me to figure out if I want to forgive them or love them. See, some of you have been offended by a family member or somebody else and you're waiting to decide if you can extend them grace and mercy. That's not how it works. Right now, right here, without them ever asking you, without them ever coming up with a flowery speech, without them ever admitting their guilt to the whole world, because that's what we desperately want. You can right now, did you know this? Right now, right here, in this moment, you can choose to forgive that person and them have nothing to do with it. Is my mic turned on? I don't understand. You can forgive them right now, and they don't have to have any part of it. Do you understand that you're not, you're not beholden to that person who ruined your life? You don't, you don't need them to be smart. You hope they will be. You pray they will be. But that's, that, 
you in this moment determine if you can forgive them or not, regardless of what they say. See, if Kaylee and I have a fight, I can determine long before I get back in the car and come back home or whatever it is, however, whatever it is, I can determine like, hey, is this going to, is this going to be reconciled or am I going to stand my ground? I'm going to make sure. <laughs> Does she listen to this? <laughs> or I, <laughs> or I can, just don't record it. Um, or, or I can determine, hey, we're going to, we're, we're going to get past this because I can let go of this offense before we even come back to rediscuss. I can, I can know that I have a love for her that goes beyond does she say the things I want her to say. He says, let's have a party. I want to say this, and some of you need to write it down. I know you're not taking notes, but you should still write it down. We misunderstand what forgiveness is. Forgiveness does not mean I'm going to choose to not be mad. And that's what most of us think. Forgiveness means I'm choosing not to be mad anymore. That's not forgiveness. If the extent of your maturity, if the extent of you being willing to forgive somebody around you is you going, I'm not going to be mad at you anymore. I have reached that level that I'm not mad anymore. And that's, that's how some of you do apologies. I'm not mad anymore. It's not saying that. What real forgiveness is you erasing their debt as if though they owe nothing in your mind. You are freeing them. You are now saying they are no longer guilty of offending you. You see the difference? It's not, I'm not going to be mad anymore. I'm just going to suck it up and not be mad. I forgive you. It's, you, you no longer have an offense to me. You no longer owe me a debt. In my mind, you're no longer guilty of all the things that I'm mad at you for. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing for me to swallow anymore. There's nothing for me to have to be like, oh, I'm just not going to be mad. No, I, there's nothing. I've, you, I've erased the debt. This is what it says in Hebrews 10, 17. Then God says, I will never again remember their sins. I will never again remember their sins or their lawless deeds. And when the sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. He's saying, quit asking for forgiveness. This is God. Some of y'all are about, about to get set free here. Stop asking for forgiveness for things I've already forgiven you for. I love that. I love that. He says, there's no more need for that. He says, I already forgave you. When God forgives, he does it perfectly. See, when the father, what did the father say? He said, he said hey, get him a robe, kill the fatted calf. Get him, a, get him you know, a ring on his finger. We're going to bling him out. Let's go. And then he goes, let the party start. You can't party with somebody that you hate. It's not really, a, by definition, the party's when you're relaxed and having fun. Now, you can be at a party, but you're like, Ugh. I say that to a group of people. In the next couple of days, you're going to have a 4th of July party, and your Aunt Karen's going to show up, or your cousin Jimmy, and you're going to be like, oh, I can't believe they're freaking here. I and then you're going to be like, oh, yeah, okay. Because you don't really, you don't really want to be around them. You can't really party with people that you have resentment towards. What he's saying is be like God and learn to forget. Learn to forget. This is, what, this is how God describes it in Psalms 103, 12. It's one of my favorite verses. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far I've separated your sin from you. God says, I'm going to take you, I'm going to take your sin, I'm going to send it east. I'm going to take you, I'm going to send you west. 
and I never am going to let you guys intersect ever again. You're going to always keep going that way. Now, he could have said, I'll send you north and send your sin south, but if you go north long enough, you eventually have to start heading south. But if you start heading east, you'll always go east, and if you start heading west, you'll always be heading west. It's almost like God knew he created a globe and not a flat earth. Sorry if that busts anybody's bubble. <laughs> really sorry. But he says that, and he says it to illustrate this point. Like you, he's like, I'm never going to remember your sin. My fa- one, one of my favorite things about God is that he is able to actually forget my screw-ups. Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, God speaking here, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake, and I will never think of them again. Do you know how many times I've gone to God to apologize for something that I've already asked for forgiveness for before? God, I'm sorry. Because it's a big mistake, right? You made a huge mistake one time. Not any. I'm just talking about your heads, yes. Not me, pastor. I've never made a mistake. I'm just talking about the big ones, you bunch of liars. The big ones. When you get really broken about the big sins, it's like, God, forgive me. And then I, I feel guilty about it again a week later. I'm like, God, just would you forgive me for that? And then like it comes back to my mind a year later. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, God. Would you? Do you know that you're reminding God of something that he didn't remember? Like he chose to say, I don't even know that exists. And then you come back and go, hey, remember back in 2004 when I did that thing? I'm sorry. And he's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Don't you, man, I thought some of you would love that. I love that. I love that God forgets about it. Here's the other reason I love that. If you and I have a problem, let's just say, let's just say I steal from you, okay? You invite me over to your house, please invite me over to your house. If I invite me over to your house, but then I steal something from your house. And then you're like, what the heck? Did Pastor Josh gank my, get, you know, gank my coasters? And then I go, I'm sorry, I stole your coasters. And you're like, okay, I forgive you. Then the next time I come over, I steal your remote or, you know, I don't know, something off your shelf or whatever. If every time, if every time I steal something and then come to you for forgiveness and you forgive me, that'd be nice of you. I hope you would. Um, and I, I use this as an illustration. I'm realizing I'm going to get invited to somebody's house and then something's going to go missing. And they're like, he really is a klepto. <laughs> I'm really not. I promise. But my point would be this. After, a, after like the third or fourth time, you would be like, there's a reoccurring pattern here, Pastor. And then you'd stop inviting me to your house. You'd be like, let's meet at the church where you can't steal any of my stuff, you know? Because why? You would have a running list, wouldn't you? You know what I love about God? Is he doesn't, he doesn't have a running list. He doesn't have a running list. I don't know. Don't raise your hand. Because I will. You, you pray for forgiveness for something, and then you do it again after you already asked to be forgiven? And you just feel embarrassed, don't you? God, forgive me. I didn't mean to do that. And then the next week, God, I did it again. I'm so sorry. Do you know that that's the first time for him? That was the first time for him. That's what I love about God. He has that kind of, he has that kind of ability to say, I'm, I don't, I'm not gonna keep a record. Your marriage would be so much better if you didn't keep a record of things you've forgiven. Your family will be a lot healthier when you stop keeping a record of all the things you've forgiven. Some of you, your workplaces or your friendships, if you would learn to be the kind of forgiver who doesn't need an apology and will meet somebody halfway 
and will have a very short memory for all the things that you feel like they've done wrong, if you could get there, your relationships would be so much better. Why? Because they will become Christ-like. Here's a truth, and I'm going to say this because this was a revelation to me, and maybe it'll help set some of you free. We hold on to that pain, and we hold on to that bitterness, and we hold on to that anger because in some sort of like really sick way, it kind of feels good. See, a lot of us find our identity in our pain. And so we don't want to let go of it. See, we've gotten so used to being a victim that if I forgive them, I can no longer be the victim. I can no longer ask for sympathy for this thing that's happened to me. I can no longer rehearse all of the ways I've been wrong. If I forgive you, then I have to let go of this thing that I've, cho- that I've, I've chosen to identify myself with. And so you don't forgive because you kind of need that negative thing from your past to, to hold on to, and that's broken. Holding on to bitterness in my heart, I hold on to bitterness in my heart because that's how I prove to myself that I'm better than them. Do you hear what I said? I can't forgive them because as long as I hold this over them, they're bad. See, if I really forgive him for what he did, if I really forgive her for what she did to me, if I really forgive them, then what I'm saying is there's no longer an offense and now I'm no longer better than them. So I won't forgive because this is how I prove to myself that you're bad and I'm good. Do you see why we struggle so much with something that God commanded us time and time again to do? I wanna, I wanna leave you with this idea. A lot of you are struggling with why should I forgive? I get it, God told me, told me to, but why should I forgive? Why should I let that person off the hook? Here's something you need to understand. I've said it in a message before. Forgiving that person does not release them of the consequences of their actions. You need to hear that. When you forgive somebody, you're not releasing them from the consequences of their actions. They did something, it's probably gonna cost them something. They might have to pay for that. That's a consequence of their decisions, a ramification. You forgiving them is not you saying there's no more consequences. You forgiving them is not releasing them. You forgiving them is releasing you from the burden of having to carry the bitterness around in you. Guys, hear me, hear me, because some of you are, are, are there, but you don't want to believe it. I'm not talking about giving them some kind of great gift. They may not even know it. You may never speak to them again. But in this moment, you can be released from the bitterness and the pain and forgive them and the sadness that you're carrying around with. You can let it go. Just give it away. Say, I forgive them. They may never ask me for an apology. They may never apologize. They may never ask me for forgiveness. They may never, ever, ever, ever return a phone call or see me ever again. And yet I can just forgive them. No more offense. I don't, I am not going to give that thing power over my life. I'm not going to be chained to my hatred or my bitterness or my sadness or my anger any longer. And I get to do that. Why? Because it's the very thing that Jesus died to set you free from. Colossians 3.13 says, put up with one another, put up with each other. (laughs) Like only knew we wouldn't. He says, and forgive anyone who does you wrong, 
just as Christ has forgiven you. There's a lot of verses that say you have to forgive in order to be forgiven. And those get taken out of context. What the Bible is trying to say in those verses is it's a hypocritical thing for you to say you've accepted God's forgiveness and then you turn around and not forgive other people. Because if you're here, and don't raise your hand, but if you're here and you would say, I'm a believer, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my savior, I have started a relationship just like Louis did. I've chosen to identify with Christ. That means you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way you can be forgiven of your sins and you've accepted his forgiveness. You need to understand that he was perfect and righteous and holy and, and you're a dumpster fire. And in that, you don't deserve forgiveness, but he gave it to you anyways. Everything you've done, every sin you've committed is worthy of hell. And he forgave you of that. For you to turn around and not forgive somebody else, that's hypocritical. Then you're not, you're not really living in the forgiveness that he's paid for for you. I think you need to remember the God that we serve and the gift that he extended to you. He did not make you earn your forgiveness. You didn't have to jump through hoops. You didn't have to learn a thousand Hail Marys. You didn't have to memorize Bible verses or go to church for decades. All you have to do, and this might be your first time ever hearing this, all you have to do is accept the lifesaver that he threw out to you. Accept the gift of forgiveness that he throws out. Accept the fact that you're messed up and that he's the, he's the reason that you can be saved. Well, pastor, I don't know. I don't know if I can get to where you're at. I'm not a preacher. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna try to speak for you, but you know. Some of y'all are like, I'm pretty far gone from that. That's what I love about God. He loves to take the most broken thing and make it new. And he makes it a promise, church. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we will make the confession, the apology, I'm guilty. That's for us. It's not for him. He's already forgiven you. You need to apologize to God for you. God, I'm guilty. Father, forgive me. I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. There's a contriteness there. There's a, a, an admission of guilt. If you'll do that for yourself, come to the place where you recognize you're not a good enough God. Right there, right where you're at, right now in this moment, if you accept that, God says his, his forgiveness covers all of your sins. He says he's faithful and just to forgive you of every sin you've ever committed. The worst thing you've ever done, no matter how many times you've done it, you're forgiven. That's how forgiveness works. And so if, you're, if you've ever consumed that, and some of you would say you have, some of you would be like, Pastor, I've done that. Then you're supposed to move from consumer to contributor. If you're here, and I know not all of you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, but if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you're somebody who has consumed. Your job is now to contribute, to learn how to forgive others the way you were forgiven. You've experienced it, now share it. It may be your ability to forgive somebody that makes a light bulb go off in their life that says, hey, I need what she has. Whatever he believes, it's different and I need more of that. God will use your ability to forgive 
to point back to his greater ability to forgive. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up, church. In a moment, we're gonna worship, but before we do, I wanna have a prayer with you. So here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask everybody that's here, would you just take a moment and close your eyes and bow your head? Close your eyes, bow your head, and, I, and I'm doing that so that everybody around you has privacy, and I want them to give you the same privacy and respect. So everybody do that for everybody else. Just close your eyes and, and bow your head. And in this moment, with nobody looking around, I'm gonna ask you which of those two categories you're in. You're either in the category of the person who has experienced the forgiveness of God. There was a time in your life where you invited Jesus Christ into your life and you experienced forgiveness. And so if that's you, if you already have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've already been forgiven of your sins, then you're in the category of somebody who needs to start sharing that forgiveness with others. So if that's you, in this moment, if you already claim to be a Christian, would you be honest enough to say, hey, pastor, I hear you tonight, and I know that I need to do a better job of forgiving other people. I need to be on mission, forgiving people. I'm still gonna, God forgave me. Would you pray for me? If you slip your hand up, I'll see it and I'll pray for you. And even if I don't see it, I'm still gonna pray for you because God sees it. That's me. I'm a believer. I'm already a believer, but I, I need to do better at forgiving others. I've got people in my life I need to forgive. Pray for me. Hands all over the place. That's me. That's me. You can just put it up and slide it right back down. That's me. I need to forgive. I need to be better at that. Pray for me, pastor. All right, let me ask my second question. If, if, if you're not in that first category of somebody who's already received forgiveness, then you're in the other category, meaning you're somebody who needs to experience the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for the first time. So as you stand there in this moment, would that be part of your testimony? In a second, we're gonna sing that I went from death to life. That means I went Amen. from a sinner to forgiven. Amen. I want that to be true of you, but if you're here and you would say, if you would be honest enough to say, in this moment, I've never had that moment. I've never received the forgiveness of Christ. Pastor Josh, I I've never done that, but I want to. For the first time, I truly want to invite Jesus Christ into my life. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. Would you pray for me? If you'll uh, slip your hand up, I'll pray for you. Say, that's me. I want to receive Christ tonight. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want that forgiveness. Pray for me. I see it. Several hands. Say, that's me. Slip your hand up. Put it right back down. That's me. I want forgiveness. I want Jesus Christ as a Savior. Hands in the back, hands in the front. I see him. Thank you. Thank you. As I pray out loud, I'd ask you in this moment, whatever, wherever you're at, pray right where you're standing. Pray and say, God, I need you. God, I need you in my life. I need your forgiveness. I need you to change me. God, I, I, need, I need my sins to be taken away or God, forgive me, help me, help me love others. God, help me forgive some of the people that I've been holding a bitterness towards. As I pray out loud, you pray quietly. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come to you. God, we offer up our prayers and Lord, we thank you for being the kind of God who forgives and forgives and forgives. And so in this moment, Lord, we acknowledge that every single one of us are jacked up. Every single one of us needs you and you so willingly forgive. And then you forget about all of our past mistakes once you forgive. God, we thank you for that. Yes, God. Thank you for loving us and giving us chance after chance after chance. Lord, I pray for the people who were brave enough to raise their hand. And God, there were some that didn't raise their hand, but yet they know they needed to. God, I pray that each and every one of them that need you as a savior right now in this moment,
Lord, I pray that they would invite you into their heart. God, I pray that they would open up their heart and, and ask for you to, to not only forgive them, but to be the Lord of their life, for you to sit in the driver's seat. God, I pray that they would let you start calling the shots from now on. God, would you help me? Would you help every one of us here to not only experience your forgiveness, some for the very first time, but you, would you allow Harbor Church to be the kind of place where we forgive others, we forgive our enemies, we love our enemies, we forgive even without being asked. God, let us be the kind of people that radiate joy, the kind of people that want to party with everybody because we're not bitter, we're not angry. God, let us be the kind of people that run down the driveway to meet people. God, let us be the kind of people that you could use to inspire others. Would you use our devotion to you? Would you use the forgiveness that you've given us to be something that shines through us to others? God, we need you. We pray this and we believe this and we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.